This is a, a reminder sermon in terms of what, what we're all about as a church, where we're headed, and uh, some of our priorities today. I wanted to know if, um, if you have ever gotten lost when you're driving. Have you ever got... I see, put your hands up. I mean, be honest, okay? I remember one time, not that well, a couple years back, uh, you know where Webster's Corner is if you go down Dooney Trunk? You eventually go down this big dip, and then you come up, and there's a school on your right-hand side, and then if you go left towards the mountains, there's lots of long, dark roads in that area. And I have a friend that lives in there, and I, I knew that there's a shortcut that you could take from the back way to uh, Garibaldi High School area and then come out to Dudney, and I just thought, well, I'll just try that. I did not have my phone, or my phone died, okay, and no GPS, and there was no lights, and I got so lost and so turned around back there, I thought, I'm just going to have to sleep in my car tonight. I'm never going to get home. And finally, I kind of backtracked all the way back to a road that I, I saw it familiar and got home. But I was, I, I've, few times in my life have I felt like I am so completely, I have no idea where I am and how to get to where I'm going. Uh, in, in life, there are lots of helps to, to get us to where we're going. There's uh, Maps, I remember the first time I was overseas in Europe, we had all these great big fold-out maps. The, go to the next slide. <clears throat> and uh, ready, go. <laughs> and um, huge maps. And, and, and if, you, if you needed glasses to read them in the dark at night, you know, where's that road we need? It's, it's kind of tough. Uh, then eventually we got the, the Garmin and we have the phones. Have you ever used a compass to find your way to true north? Have you had to, like, you know, when you're hiking, you're like, where is north? How do you use this thing? Uh, or sometimes I've been told you can look at, is it Polaris? Is that the north star? I, I can identify the Big Dipper. I mean, that one's the only one I can identify. And then you go to the, the, the scoop and you look straight up and it's supposed to find the north star. At least you know what direction to go. And uh, it's... It's nice to have something out there to help when you feel lost. Well, these are tools to help um, with your direction, how to know where you're going. We also have tools as a church that are going to help us get to where we're going. Uh, when, you, when you start to sit down and plan, you realize that there's a lot of things that come into play when you look at how to get to where we're going. Um, there are missions, there are uh, uh, statements, there's goals, there's visions, there's values. And um, next slide. <laughs> Ready, go. There we go. So uh, missions, it's kind of what, what are you all about? What is it that you want to accomplish? And when you sit down and figure out as a person or as a company or as a family, as a church, uh, you, you, you look to see what is it that you're trying to accomplish. Why are we here? Who do we want to impact? And that, that speaks into our vision of where we're going. Vision is um, looking forward. It's what do you see in the future? How, what, where are you headed in, in, in life and uh, in your efforts? How do you put your budget together to accomplish? You have goals, specific things. Uh, that you want to achieve to put all of this together. And, and it, all of that's based on your values. What, what's most important to you? So the way it looks is our, is our church sat down. Uh, some of these aren't official. If we go to the next slide. 
We're, we're, we're headed in that direction. Let me ask you this. Have you ever sat down as a family and asked yourself, what is most important to us? What is it we want our family to be like or to represent or to do? Or what kinds of things do we, what kind of impact should our family have in our community? What's the most important thing to us? Um, in your own life, if you, if you sit down and look at your values, uh, it can actually give you direction to what kind of a job to have, what kind of a career to have, where to, where to go in, in your life. Sometimes you find that you're just not happy in your job. You find out you're just not being fulfilled. And it's, I think it's because there's an incongruence, incongruence with, with your values and what you're actually doing. How much You're putting eight hours a day into something that you just don't feel is important. So as a church, we have to decide what's most important. What, what do we hold dear to us? And we, we use these statements that we'll get eventually on the screen <laughs> to, to guide us in the direction we want to go. So if you've looked at the wall here outside of the nursery, you'll see a whole list of things that are most important to us. We have a mission statement that says that we want to uh, seek and to serve Christ. And then there's ways in which we want to do that, our mission statements, bringing others to Christ. We also want to empower people to live and serve and grow in Christ, uh, to help people belong before they believe. Come on in. You're part of our family. Uh, We're going to introduce you to the most important person in our life, Jesus Christ, along the way, so that you too can have a transformed life. Uh, We're going to try and overcome barriers with the gospel. We're, we're, We're wanting to be involved in missions. To, to go across culture, to go across language, and go across uh, the sea, to try and reach people that we wouldn't otherwise reach. We want to s- celebrate the goodness of God. We want to have fun in the Christian life. There's a lot of challenges that we face as Christians, and we want to enjoy the journey uh, with God and with one another. So if someone asks you, what is the vision of MRIC? Where are you guys going? You can take them by the hand and show them this wall outside the nursery and say, here's who we are. Here's what we're all about. Or better yet, you could just memorize the, uh, the vision statement, transforming our world together through the power of God, one life at a time. And that's what I want to look at today is this idea of transformation, our role and how this is actually going to happen. So transforming. I was looking uh, at all the verses in the Bible about transformation, and there aren't a ton. But what we find out is that the primary responsibility of the Holy Spirit today is to transform God's people into Christ's likeness, to work on us from the inside out. But at the same time, there is opposition to that. There are other forces that are trying to get our attention. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 2, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. Now this, if you know anything about the church in Corinth, uh, they were kind of messed up. Like they started well probably, they had good things going, but uh, along the way they got off track. They let other influences come in and, and, and um, push them in directions that was unhealthy for a church. And so Paul is addressing this somewhat in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. He was, he was saying, I'm, I'm wanting to bring you to a place that's pleasing in God's sight. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. 
even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. And when I was with you and, and didn't have enough to live on, I didn't become a financial burden to anyone. The brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed, and I've never been a burden to you, and I never will be. But I will continue doing what I have always done. And this will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise or transform themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise or transform themselves into servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get their punishment their wicked deeds deserve. What he's saying is that there's lots of people trying to transform our mind, trying to push us into a different image. You ever been on TikTok, anyone? I try to avoid TikTok. I just, you know, once you start, you just can't stop, apparently. So I just decided not to get started too much in there. But there's there's scrolling on Facebook and just never-ending. It used to be you go to a website, you see the site, and you go to another site. But this, you can just scroll endlessly for days and days and days, letting other influences into your mind, letting other people tell you what to wear, uh, how to act, uh, how to have all these hacks to do your, your jobs or uh, things more, more quickly. And, and you don't realize over time your mind is being transformed by the world. You're fitting into their mold, and they're trying to shape you into something that is not pleasing to Christ. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, in order to prove by you what is that good and pleasing and perfect will of God. We have to be discerning. Our our job is to transform the world, not let the world transform us. Uh, we, we want to influence other people with the gospel, with the truth, as we find in the scriptures. We, we can't let TikTok or social media or blogs in, uh, inform us to the point where we are acting just like the world. There should be a difference. God will equip his church with leaders and teachers and disciples, mentors to help you grow and learn and serve. We have uh, lots of men's groups going right now. It's, it's fun to see how many different groups have just popped up and people are gathering to study God's Word. It's, it's amazing that there is a hunger to know God and to know His ways, to know His, His, uh, the Scriptures right across the women's ministries, the men's ministries, the young adult. That's what we want. We, people are tired of being tricked. How many of you get those... Uh, those spam calls on your cell phone during the week. Like how many? It's like five, six a week anymore? You're, uh, I don't know how many times the, the uh, CRA is wanting to deposit money into my account. If I would just click on this link, I could get like hundreds of dollars multiple times a week. We're tired of the lies. We're tired of being deceived all the time, being tricked, people trying to, to take our money, take our time, uh, lie to us, deceive us. It's, it's so frustrating. Where is the truth? How do you know what's right? How do you know what to listen to? That's why we study God's Word, because it, it filters out all of this other stuff that is trying to mold and shape our minds. Ephesians 4.11 says that these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work to build up the church and the body of Christ. 
This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we won't be any longer like immature children. We won't be tossed around and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. You might want to go back and read Ephesians 4, 11 to 14, maybe every week. Because someone is trying to influence your mind. Someone's trying to trick you and deceive you into their way, into their lives. Galatians 6.15 says, It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not, which means following all the religious rules. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Another translation says, We are to be transformed into a new order of existence. Standing above the normal course of life, standing above the world's standards. You can get dragged into so much arguing and politics and theories and whatnot in the world, and, and it's endless. Can we rise above that to say there's more important things? What we value is the truth. What we value is what God wants us to do. We want to seek and serve Him, not anyone else's agenda. There's other verses that talk about transformation uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, let me, let me tell you a wonderful secret, Paul says to the same Corinthian church. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. This transformation is past. When you were born again, you were transformed to become a child of God. It's present where Christ is trying to continually transform us now, shape and mold our mind. Then it's future that we will have transformation physically into a spiritual body one day when everything is done and Christ returns. It's a three-part process. I think about Matthew uh, chapter 8. There's, you remember the story of a man who was demon-possessed, and he was, he was out of his mind. He was living in the graveyards, living amongst the tombs and the graves, and terrifying people. He was uh, screaming. He was, um, he was a lunatic, if you could use the word, until Jesus came and met him and, and freed him from the demonic possession and this, the last thing we hear about him is he was seated, dressed, clothed, and in his right mind. It's a transformation. Christ can do for people. Bring them out of where they are, where they're uh, addicted and chained and bondage to different things, and set them free to become all that he wants them to be. We want to transform our world. So how do you transform an entire world? Well, you can't. Uh, it's a big task. In fact, that's not our assignment. We can only cooperate with God to transform people. So his, his, his assignment, Jesus, before he left, he says, I, I want you to make disciples. He didn't say, I want you to change institutions. He says, I want you to make disciples. And we can only change institutions as we change the hearts of the people working in those institutions. You want to change the school board or the hospital administration or the city council or the federal government? You can, 
One person at a time. When someone's heart is transformed, they begin to, to mold and shape and have influence wherever God has put them, to bring truth, to bring morals and ethics and values into their workplace. So what I say is if you want to have a di- uh, an impact in your city, in your province, and in your nation, pray. Pray for the people working in those institutions. Be intentional about sharing the gospel message with with those people. Love those people. I know people that work in government, and uh, it's not an easy place to be as a Christian, as a believer. We pray for them to have the influence that God wants them, to be a light sometimes in the darkness. There's, we blame the government for all sorts of things, but we're not praying for them. We're not praying that God would transform their heart and lives. That every time we have an opportunity, when maybe you're on the ferry, and you're going across to Victoria, and you don't know you're sitting next to someone who's actually in government. Do you take time to talk to them, to pray for them, to share the gospel with them? Do we want to transform our government? Well, let's start one person at a time. Take advantage of the opportunities that God is giving. One thing uh, to keep in mind is that people are not the enemy. We often look at people and blame them for the world's ills. Well, people are not the enemy. They're just not yet transformed by the power of God. We do have an enemy, and his name is Satan. And he does everything in his power to prevent people from coming to the truth and being transformed. People are not the enemy. They are the objects of our love and prayers and compassion and grace. It's easy to write somebody off because you don't like them or you disagree with them. Well, maybe, maybe pray for them. Maybe show them some kind of love or com- compassion or grace or sacri- send them a note. Send them an encouragement email. Do something to make a difference rather than just be the, the wall of mass of people who don't, don't care and who want to blame them for everything. You know, they're broken people too, and they need Christ. Let's start there. We want to transform the world together. I see that there's actually three togethers. Uh, there's a together with Christ in 1 Corinthians 1.8, again to the church in Corinth. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. And God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are partners with Christ in this effort. He is our boss. He gives us direction and fills us with his presence. We work together with God the Father. 1 Corinthians, again to the church in Corinth. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. We are working with God. We are working with Christ. Uh, We're partnering with, with, with the whole Trinity to make a difference in our world. And we are working with one another, with the local church. Not just here, but the church across the street, the church two blocks away, the three churches down the road, the churches in Pitt Meadows. And we're all in the same team. We all have an effort to work together. First Thessalonians 2, 12 says, Once, uh, that you would walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and his glory. We are part of a kingdom. I don't have British citizenship. I don't have a king. But it's interesting to watch all the monarchy and all the things that follow with the kingdom of Great Britain. It's fascinating to see the political, what happens with monarchy and all that. But I think about us as part of another kingdom. We have a Lord. We have a Savior. We have a heavenly 
boss, in a sense, who loves us and cares for us, that we are serving. We want to transform the world together through the power of God. And so I can't do much on my own. In fact, I've come to the end of myself many times. I have often phone calls that people call, and they've got really difficult situations they're facing. And I think to my, well, as they're talking to me, I'm on the phone, I'm going, I have no clue how to respond. I don't know what to say. Like, this is something I've never encountered before. And I'm, I'm praying all the time they're talking. It says, God, give me something to say. God, help me to know how to respond. God, give, let, give me the words that could share hope and comfort and peace and grace in this, this time. Uh, last night I was informed that uh, a son of a friend of ours uh, was suicidal, uh, was drunk, was saying he's going to end his life, and I got these very frantic uh, messages from the mom saying, can you call, can you do something? He's here somewhere in Maple Ridge, and I'm in Abbotsford, and I'm going, okay, God, what do I, I don't know where he is, I don't even know where to start, so I, I had his phone number from years ago, and I texted him, and I didn't even know if he'd respond, but he says, Who's this? <laughs> I said, it's Pastor Tom, the one and only. I said, are, are you okay? You've got a lot of people worried about you tonight. He says, I'm fine. And um, after he told me he was fine several times, um, I said, can you at least text your mom and let her know you're okay? And about four hours later, I got a text back saying, I will. So, uh, you know, but... Uh, we don't have the power. We need to depend on the power of God to intervene, to give us wisdom at any, at any point. You want the power of God? Start praying to God. Start asking Him. When we are prayed up, we will have access to God's power. Prayer will soften hearts and change minds and bring the presence and the power of God will transform lives. If we are not in prayer, we will have no power. We, we, we can't do much to impact our community without God's powers, changing people from the inside out. If we are not much in prayer, we will not receive much of God's power. If we do not invite God into the situation through prayer, he might just not show up. It's like, God, we need you here. This is way beyond us, and he will show up. Want God's power? Well, it comes through listening to God. The reason we pray is to hear from God. We want him to speak back to us and tell us what's on his heart and his mind. We spend time before him so he can mold and shape our thinking, transform our minds. God will reveal his will to us when we are in relationship with him. You want power from God? Well, it flows through us when, when we do what's in obedience to his commands to us. When he shares with us what he wants us to be involved in, that's when we step out, we obey what he asks, and the power flows. You want God's power? Well, it has to come and bring him glory. If we crave God's power and it's all about me and look what I can do and let me heal you of this and all this, it's like if the attention's on me, I'm not going to have God's power. It needs to be on him. He gets the glory for what he does through his people. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you, to your name, goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. We want to transform our world together through the power of God, one life at a time. You know about God's uh, Christ's commission, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, but do you know about Mark's uh, version in Mark 16, 15? Uh, Matthew says, go unto all the world and make disciples. 
Well, Mark says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every being, to every creature, to all of creation. Everybody gets a chance to hear the gospel. No one gets left out. It doesn't matter if you're communist or socialist or capitalist or monarchist or oligarchist, rich or poor, lettered or unlettered, female, male, young or old. Every person, every creature that God has put on this earth has a right to hear the truth, to hear the good news that he has given to us. One person at a time. I've heard these great stories in the past couple of months of people showing up here at church because somebody talked to them in the line at the grocery store. Who is it? Who's, who's talking to people in the grocery store line? I just have to know. Keep it up. One person at a time. At the hairdresser, at the, at the, the, the parking lot attendant. What, one person at a time. God may just say, you know, talk to that person. You've got to share the gospel with that person. You've got to invite that person to church. You've got to say, hey, I've got a group studying the Bible. You ever study the Bible? We're trying to figure out what it means together. What, you would but you'd be interested in coming? And let me remind you, too, that there is an enemy out there who wants us to fail at this mission. He will throw up roadblocks. He will undermine our determination. He will sow seeds of doubt, seeds of division, seeds of uncertainty, of fear and hesitation, He doesn't want people to hear the gospel because they will be set free from the bondage he put them in. If they're born again, they'll leave his kingdom darkness and be put into the kingdom of God's kingdom. If they hear the gospel, they can be infused with the overwhelming power of the Holy Spirit to overcome him and his demonic powers. They keep getting back up when Satan knocks them down if they believe in the gospel. You can't You can't knock down a child of God when God's presence is in them. They'll even rejoice when they're counted worthy of suffering for Jesus. They even sing songs in prison after they've been beaten. What's with these Christians? Satan doesn't want people to hear the gospel because it sets them free. It transforms them. It's not the people around us that we're fighting. It's not the people in government, not the people who have the most power or the most wealth or the most influence. Every one of them can be transformed by the power of the gospel one heart at a time if we are willing to pray and obey and do what God asks us to do. Reaching one life at a time requires three things. It requires, first of all, a relationship. You've got to have a relationship with somebody if you're going to share the truth with them. If you're going to share the gospel, you have to know who they are. You need some connection points. I try and read or get involved in so many different things just so I can have a, a, ask a decent question of somebody regardless of their vocation or their experiences. I've tried to get involved in so many different things. You've got to have a relationship. The other thing, you know, that is hardest maybe is you actually have to love them. Something about those commands about loving your neighbors yourself, it's true. If we don't take time to love people, why should they listen to us? You might, you might be a coworker, but if you've never invested, you've never invited them to your home, you've never brought them a, a card on their birthday, you've never taken them for lunch, just to, to develop that relationship, just to show them that you care about them, you said, hey, I hear you're going through a tough time, can I pray with you? Oh, ah, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not really a religious person that says, well, that's okay, I, I, I talk to God all the time, how about I talk to God on your behalf? It says, okay. It's interesting how people soften when you want to pray for, and sometimes... 
Loving people requires sacrifice, giving something up, your time, your resources. Invite them in where you wouldn't normally invite them into your life. One person at a time. God sent me to the White House in Washington, D.C. Who? Why? Because he wanted me to be there for some event. He, he put me in the presence of Salva Kiir, the president of South Sudan. Why? Because he, he wanted me to be there. I actually handed the president of South Sudan the man God uses book, the one that all of our men in the church are studying, because I knew he was going to be leading an entire nation. It's about letting God guide us to accomplish his will. Who does he put in your path that he wants you to share the gospel with? So our desire at this church is to transform our city through the power of God, one business at a time, one neighborhood at a time, one home at a time, one person at a time. And this isn't the assignment of the staff that the congregation applauds every time the staff does something. This is the assignment of the body. And the staff help equip the body for this kind of activity. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have mentoring groups and, 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 and groups that meet together to study God's Word. Because we are equipping you for ministry, to reach out, to make a difference. Be in prayer now for who it is that God would want you to start developing relationships. Pray that He would open our eyes to opportunities He wants us to step into. Pray that God would open the doors for our church to walk through that aren't previously open. We, we didn't know this was an opportunity, and this fits exactly what we've been praying for. Pray that He will open our ears to hear the needs of people around us that the gospel can take care of through us, His church. So when I gave my life to Jesus as a teenager, I gave Him the rights to, to set my agenda, to put entries in my calendar, to direct my path and my footsteps, to go wherever He wanted me to go, to speak to whoever He wanted me to speak to, as I go throughout the day, I get to see lives transformed. I get to see people coming to Jesus and seeing that God fills them and frees them to be in his kingdom. Every one of us gets that opportunity. So the strange instrument you see on the, on the screen is called a, a sextant. And um, it was invented by John Bird in 1759. It's a navigational tool, and I've always been curious about this thing, so I looked it up. The one on the right is the modern version of the one on the left. And um, what happens with the sextant is that you see that the, the curve is like a rocking horse on the bottom. That's actually one-sixth of a circle, and that's where it gets its name. Latin for one-sixth is sextans. And so if you put six of them together, you get a whole circle. So there's numbers on that uh, bottom rung, and... What happens with the two mirrors is that you look at the horizon. You need to have the horizon of, of the earth for boats on, on the ocean. Then you need to have the sun or stars. And you put the one mirror on the sun and one mirror on the horizon. And then you, you move that lever on the bottom, frontwards or backwards, until the mirror with the sun brings it to touching the horizon. Then you look at the number on the bottom. You look at your watch and you look at the chart, and it will tell you exactly where you are on the world. They're, they're crazy accurate. You also have to adjust, because you have to be at zero uh, height with the ocean, so if you're like a, two meters up, you need to subtract two meters to, so it's flat, even with the horizon touching the, the horizon. And then you can know where you are so you can tell where to go. 
Before they had this instrument, uh, you could tell by the constellations uh, where you are if in the northern hemisphere, southern, and by the shape of them and design what time of year it was, and get navigations that way by looking at stars or the moon um, stages. In any case, even with your GPS, it depends on things up in the heaven to connect with things on the earth. And as a church, to find our direction, we need heaven to touch earth. We need to bring what's in heaven down to our situation, and we do that through prayer. We ask God to guide us. We, we want to know not just where we are and where we've been, but where we're going to. We're asking God to intervene in earthly matters and show us what part we will share in his kingdom, what to do next with his power. What I want to ask you is what your part will be this year. Is it time for you to step up to be more intentional in your sharing of your faith? Are there people around you, your neighbors, your family, your extended relatives that have never heard the gospel, have never heard from your mouth how God transformed you? and brought you into his kingdom, how you have access to God through your prayer, how he guides you every day when you ask him to. Have you allowed the Spirit of God to transform your heart and mind, or are you stuck in the world's grip? Maybe this week you need to really pray, God, clean my mind from all of the stuff that the world has put in my mind and my heart. Help me to see you. Help me to know the truth. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness that I would be uh, filled with your Spirit and led by your Spirit. And are you praying for those lost around you, for your lost family members and relatives or coworkers or classmates or neighbors, teachers, coaches, teammates? If you begin praying for those around you, you will notice opportunities all the time for God will put in your, in your pathway to share with them. And the last question is, are you actually loving others? We can be nice to people all the time, but it doesn't mean we're loving them. We can be polite to people, but it doesn't mean we're loving them. What will it take for you to demonstrate love for your neighbor? What does that look like? It's going to be costly, but when you see the transformed life of a person next to you, you'll see that it's well worth every effort. Let's pray. Father God, we do ask you for direction. We ask you for guidance as a church, as we go into the future. We have so much going on in this building, but it's all about transformation. It's about growing up in our faith. It's about being mature as Christians. It's about letting you guide us so that we can make an impact in our city, in our province, in our country, as your people. Uh, with your power, Father, nothing is beyond us because you will accomplish what you want in your way and in your time through your people. I pray, God, that we won't be on the sidelines, but we'll be right in the game, right in the middle of it, watching and seeing you and cooperating with you, partnering with you in what you want to do. May MRAC, may this church lead the way for our city in reaching our city and our neighborhoods and those that have needs around us. God, thank you for the people you brought here for this time, for an amazing adventure with you in the days ahead. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.